If you would, take your Bible and uh, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. A uh, couple of quick things as you're turning to, to Matthew chapter 7 for, for this morning. The first is uh, we are going to have a special called business meeting tonight after our Sunday evening service. And the purpose of that is to have a vote for Joy Leonard to come and serve as our preschool ministry coordinator. Um, as you notice, watching the kids go out, we have a very good problem. And a very good problem is there are a lot of kids, and especially a lot of preschoolers. And so you might be thinking, does that mean my kids aren't going to miss Kathy during this time? Fear not. Your kids will still go to miss Kathy during this time. Um, what has happened is Miss Kathy has done such an incredible job that she's worked us into this situation. So it's, it's Kathy's fault, uh, partly that we're here, but we're going to have someone come on to serve as a preschool ministry coordinator, primarily to minister to your family, to be able to minister to the preschool families uh, that we have in our community. We love for you to bring your kids. Never fear about bringing your kids into this time and worrying about them being disruptive. We want them to come. We want them to be a part of this, and we want them to be able to go back and learn about Jesus in a way that they can understand, in a way that makes sense to them. And so, just to let you know that we have that, that coming up. All right, let's continue in this uh, study on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look this morning, starting in Matthew chapter 7, we're going to read the first five verses uh, this morning and focus in on that section, and then we'll just continue to move ahead next week. So, Matthew 7, starting in verse 1, it says, Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Father, we need your wisdom and the insight of the Holy Spirit. Father, we want to understand this passage correctly. It's a difficult passage. And Father, I'm, I'm nervous about the words that I might say that they would be misunderstood, that they would be misused. God, I pray that by your Spirit that I would speak clearly and that more than anything, we would just look at your Word and allow that to be the foundation and the food for our lives. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning to take seriously your word in our lives and in the world around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 3.16 is no longer the most popular verse in the Bible. Now, I have no hard data to back that up, but, but I think you'll see where I'm going. Philippians 4.13 is not the most popular verse in the Bible. Genesis 1.1, it's not the most popular verse. Not even Jesus wept, which none of us know where Jesus wept is located in the Bible, but whatever it is, it might not. It's, not, it's John 11.35, just because I had to go look it up this week to know where, where it was. None of those are the most popular verse in the Bible. 
Matthew 7.1, I think, is now the most popular verse in the Bible. Because it doesn't matter if someone reads their Bible consistently. It doesn't matter if they go to church. It doesn't matter if they even believe in God. Most people know that Jesus said, judge not, and that means stop judging them. You will hear Matthew 7.1 quoted probably more often than you would hear any of those other verses quoted that I just talked about. And it makes perfect sense in our world. In a world where all ideas and actions are treated as equally same, equally true, in a world where anything is allowed except saying that something is not allowed, in a world where I can do whatever I want, it makes sense that judge not lest you be judged would become the most popular passage in the Bible, whether or not someone is seeking to live by God's word or not. But here's the thing we have to keep in mind. This morning, the problem is not out there. The problem is not the media. The problem is not pop culture. The problem is not your family and friends who quote that verse to you. The problem starts here. And and really, it starts right here in my heart. Am I judging? Do I understand what this verse means? And how does my life look differently if I really take seriously what Jesus is saying in this passage here? So how do we understand this passage? Anytime you're going through a portion of Scripture, and especially through the Sermon on the Mount, one of the places you have to start is what was said just before. Just before this, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 23, Jesus said something really interesting. Verse 22, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear or your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now those verses right there should kind of be in the back of our minds as we're studying this passage this morning because Jesus is going to talk about the eyes. He's going to talk about wood in your eye. And if you have wood in your eye, your eye is not going to be good or it's not going to be healthy. Your body is going to be full of darkness. But if you take the wood out of your eye, your body is going to be full of light. You're going to live the life that Jesus has called you to live. And so we have to connect Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 to 23, with what Jesus says at the beginning of chapter 7. And then at the very end of chapter 6, Jesus talked about not worrying. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear. Don't worry about tomorrow. What Jesus was saying is, you're not God. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You can't control what's going to happen tomorrow. And so if you're not God, you're not in control. And if you're not in control of tomorrow, then there are probably other things you shouldn't be in control of, namely other people's lives. And so we get to chapter 7, verse 1, and Jesus says, do not judge. Now, most of us learned it as judge not or judge ye not, something like that, depending on the translation that you, that you grew up with. What does Jesus mean when he says judge not? Most people, when they say stop judging me or don't judge me, what they really mean is don't get involved in my business or it's none of your business or you can't tell me what to do. Except that's not what the word judge means in this passage, and that doesn't match up with what Jesus says at other places in Scripture. 
What Jesus is talking about when he says do not judge is do not act as a judge. We do not sit above other people as their judge. It is not our job to criticize and it is particularly not our job to condemn or to condemn in such a way that we would punish them or look down upon them. So we don't sit in the place of a judge. Because we'll find out later that Jesus actually makes judgments about other people. And he even tells his followers, you need to be discerning. You need to make decisions, make judgments about other people. But your job is not to sit as God over someone else. Your job is not to be the judge for someone else. You say, well, how how do you get that from those words? It comes from the next phrase there in verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. All right. Or lest you be judged, if you learned it in in a particular translation. This is the chance for all the English grammar nerds in the audience to unite, okay? Here Here for a second. What's going on in this passage is Jesus is using a passive verb. An active verb is where the subject just does the acting. So do not judge. You, that would be the subject doing the action. A passive verb is where the action is done back to you. You can see where I underline the word be and then the ed at the end of judge. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Well, the question is, be judged by whom? There are two options. Is it do not judge so that you will not be judged by other people? Or is it do not judge so that you will not be judged by God? Do you see the difference there? Someone is doing the judging back on you if you judge other people. And what we find out is it's not do not judge so that other people won't judge you. It's do not judge so that you will not be judged by God. This goes back to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses, 11, or verses 14 and 15. If you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Those verses don't mean that we forgive others in order to earn our salvation. What it means is, if we're not forgiving toward other people, we never truly understood in the first place what it meant for God to forgive us. So you extend that to Matthew chapter 7 is, if we judge other people, it proves that we really don't understand for what it means for God to be judge over us. To think that God put us out there as the judge for other people in the world. That's not our place. We're not called to play God. He already has that job taken care of. He needs to do that for him. There are a couple other verses in the Bible that address this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 and 5. Paul says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In other words, I'm not concerned what other people are saying condemning me. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Look at James chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. They should be up on the screen as well. 
You also be patient, James says. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. And then look at this next phrase. So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge, capital J, is standing at the door. So what we see in the New Testament is that God will do the judging. He will take care of that. And Jesus says, judge not. That's not your role. Stop playing God for other people. Because if you do, you will find yourself judged in a way that you're never going to be able to stand before God. So if it's not our job to play God for somebody else, to be their judge, the question is, what is our job? What is our role? And that's what Jesus gets out in verses 3 and 4 and 5. Look, look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? All right, there's a couple of key words that, that are highlighted up there on the screen. The first is the word brothers. And by brothers there, it means Christian brothers and sisters. In other words, when Jesus is talking in this passage, Jesus is talking about how Christians relate to one another. It's not talking about how we relate to people who aren't claiming to be Christians or people who are not following Jesus. Jesus is dealing with how we relate to one another because let's be honest— how we relate to one another as Christians says more to the world around us than anything else that we do. Jesus was very clear with this when he t about this when he talked to his disciples. It's how are you relating to one another? Um, I love the quote that's on the back of your notes. If you turn over your bulletin, there are some notes there that you can look at on the back. But one of the things that a pastor named Andy Stanley says is we have to judge the believing, not the heathen. In other words, if you're going to be discerning, if you're going to be involved in somebody's lives, we judge the believing, not the heathen. We need to worry about how we're treating one another, how we're being discerning toward one another. For those who are not Christians, who are not following Jesus, we love them, we pray for them, we're friends with them, we point them toward the hope that is found in Jesus, we do good things for them. But when it comes down to how Jesus is talking in this passage, he says, you're looking at what's going on in your brother's eye. This is talking about how Christians relate to one another. And then he specifically talks about specks and logs. And when you see the word speck there, it's almost certainly talking about sawdust. Now remember that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, what was his occupation? He was a carpenter. So Jesus grew up in a wood shop. The word carpenter in the New Testament can either talk about somebody who works with wood or somebody who works with rock. Most likely it was some combination of both of those, but Jesus grew up in a wood shop. How many of you have had a piece of wood in your eye at some point in life? You, you know that feeling, you know what it's like. Jesus most likely had had some wood in his eye at some point. He knew what that feeling was about. And so when he gets here to this passage, he knows that he's using an illustration that would have made sense. And he says, before you worry about what's going on in your brother or sister's life, you need to worry about what is happening in your own life. You need to take account of the log that is in your own eye. The Apostle Paul said something really interesting about this. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15, Paul said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the foremost, or some translations say, of whom I am the chief of sinners. You know, one thing I've learned in my life is when people say bad things about me, I really don't think much about it anymore because I realize I'm probably a lot worse than they even think about me. And so if they're going to say bad things about me, let it come because that's probably better than what is really happening on the inside sometimes. We have to come to this point that we're willing to deal with what's happening in our lives. But I also know my heart. And I realize that my tendency is to explain away the sin that's in my life. To explain away, to justify the log in my eye. That's not a log, you know, that's an accessory. I just carry that around with me to make me look better. No, it's a log, and, and I need to learn to deal with it. Or, or we say, you know what, that person is just, they're just grumpy and critical. It's just part of their personality. No, it's sin. We can't use personality traits. We can't use character flaws and try to cover over the reality of sin. It might just be that that's a log in our life, and we need to learn to deal with it. And so Jesus is very clear in verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Now, if you have something or you think you have something in your eye, where do you go first usually? You go to the mirror. Unless you have a good friend or your spouse is there, you know spouses, couples, friends have special sign language that you can use. Like when you think you may have something in your nose, but you're not sure. And so your spouse is over there doing something, you know, like this. Your friend is doing this. And you're thinking, man, I know they're talking about me. How in the world am I going to get that out, you know, without, without anybody knowing You need good friends in your life who can point out things like that happening. And so you go to the mirror and you look in the mirror, and you do what it takes to get that black piece of pepper that always gets stuck right there in the middle of your, of your front teeth, what it takes to get that out. Well, listen to what James says in James chapter 1, verses 23 to 24. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his face in a mirror. But he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Imagine if your spouse is pointing or your girlfriend or boyfriend or your friend is pointing and you realize you have a huge booger in your nose and you go to the mirror and you look in the mirror and you say, ah, no big deal. I'll just leave it there. Now that's what my six-year-old would do, okay? Not, not a grown adult. You would do something about it. James says, if you look into God's word and God says you should be doing this, and you're not doing that, and you take no action, you're like someone who looked in the mirror and said, you know what, I'm just going to leave it that way because it's okay. Jesus says, no, take the log out of your eye. Here's the reality. When we turn to Jesus Christ for salvation, when we turn from sin and we turn to Christ and we say, you are my only hope for forgiveness, you are the only one who can take away the shame and the guilt of my sin, we are made perfect at that point. We are cleansed. And then begins a lifetime of taking logs out of your eye. You know what it feels like sometimes? It feels like the magician that pulls the, the napkin 
out of their pocket, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming. When I take logs out of my eye, it feels that way. I take a log out, and you know what I find? Another log. And you take that log. It's a continuous process. This isn't something that happens one time. It's something that we have this posture of realizing, I have things that I struggle with, and I need to deal with these things. But then Jesus does something very interesting. He says, here is the purpose for taking this out of your eye. Look closely at verse 5. It says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now this verse, the end of verse 5, explodes the way we normally use judge not. Because what Jesus is saying is, take the log out of your eye so that you can turn around and help someone else who has a speck in their own eye. What this says is, if I have a speck in my eye, I desperately need someone to come up to me and say, let me help you with that. Let me take that out. And you say, but it's just a small thing. Do you know what happens with a little piece of wood or a little piece of debris that stays in your eye and nothing is dealt with? Your vision starts to go blurry. It can even lead to blindness. It's this incredible irritation that started out as just a speck. It started out as something small, but we didn't do anything about it. And before we know, we can't see where God wants us to go. And the reason is, is because the speck is there in my eye. Now, I want to make two clarifications really quickly. Number one. I am not advocating fault-finding. We don't need someone to say it's my job to go around and find the specks in everyone else's eye, okay? Let's be very clear about that. This is, that's not what we're advocating. Do you know how you normally see a speck in somebody's eye? You're just talking to them. You're in a regular conversation, a regular relationship, and you realize that there's something there that they need to deal with. We find specks in people's eyes when we're already living life with them, not when we're going around with our microscope staring in people's eyes. That's weird. That'll get you thrown in jail. Don't, don't do that. And so we're not advocating fault finding. We're advocating just paying attention to our brother and sister. Here's the second thing, and this is where this gets really, really, really difficult. When it talks about a speck and a log, it's talking about a sin, something that is against God's will, that's against God's word. It's not talking about just a behavior that you don't like about someone or an opposing viewpoint that you differ on or an opinion. We don't have time to deal with this this morning, but if you will write down Romans chapter 14. Write down Romans 14, and if you need something to look at this week, go look at that passage. Because what Paul does there is he says, you may be strong in your faith and think something is okay. Uh, For example, you may have a glass of wine with dinner, and you have no problem with that. You're not getting drunk. You just enjoy having a glass of wine or a beer when when you have dinner. Someone else, in their faith, they think that that is completely and totally wrong. And Paul says that those who are strong in their faith, who are okay with certain things, need to learn to be patient and kind and tolerant with those who are maybe weaker in the faith. It's not saying that it's okay to go out and get drunk. It's just saying that we need to learn how to live together with those opposing viewpoints. We live in a culture where the word tolerance has been totally destroyed. Tolerance is not a bad word. 
Tolerance is in fact a biblical word. It's a good thing. The ability to be able to deal with people who have different viewpoints, who, who see things differently than you do. But tolerance doesn't mean that everybody's actions and everybody's thoughts are equally right. Except that's how our culture has come to use the word and so it's completely, it's completely kind of just, just misplaced it. And so what we get back around to is just the fact that when I have a speck in my eye, I need a brother, not a judge. When I have a speck in my eye, I need a brother, not a judge. I need someone who's going to come up to me and help me deal with that. I love how Scott McKnight says it. Scott McKnight, on your notes there, there's a quote. He says, we must learn to distinguish moral discernment from personal condemnation. Jesus is talking about discernment, not damnation. He's talking about we need to learn how to love one another and morally discern, not condemn them. Now, here's a life lesson for you. If you come up to me and you start to put your finger toward my eye, can I tell you what I'm going to do? I'm probably going to slap your hand away. Because we do not do well when people's fingers start to come toward our eye. When I was in college, I was helping a guy clear out some debris around his, uh, around his pond, and I got a piece of debris in, in my eye. And so I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, okay, open your eye really wide. You know what I did? I opened my mouth really wide. Because there's something mentally that says when you're supposed to open your eye really wide, you automatically open your mouth. Maybe that's a problem I have, and no one else struggles with that. But that's what I did. The other thing he said is, I'm going to touch your eye. Do not hit my hand, or you could really hurt yourself. Well, yeah. If you're going to touch my eye, I'm probably going to do something about it. I'm not just going to sit here and allow this to happen. But, but I let him get that debris out of my eye before it caused more problems. When we go to people, taking a speck out of their eye is a difficult maneuver, and it's not a power maneuver. You have to be gentle and patient and let them know. And here's the reality. You may see someone living in sin, and you go to them, and you go humbly and gently and say, what you are doing right now is not matching God's word, and there is a good chance you will get your hand slapped away. Because we are defensive people, and we want to defend and justify our sin. And when someone else comes up to us and says, I don't think you're living according to God's word, it's our natural instinct to hit their hand away. And we have to come to a place of trust where we're able to have these relationships and care for one another in, in these ways. It's become popular to say that church should be a hospital for sinners not a museum or a cruise ship for saints. And let me tell you, there is a lot of good to be said about that statement. There, there is a lot of things that we need to realize that are good about that statement. If someone is realizing the pain and the shame of their sin, or they're tired of living in a broken, hurt world, and they come to us, this needs to be a safe place for people to come and experience the love and the grace of Christ if you don't particularly like Christians because you find them judgmental, if you don't think very highly of Christianity, I want this to be a safe place where you come and you experience love and grace and peace, and we point you toward Jesus. But, listen carefully, a hospital is a place where you go to get well. You have surgery, 
you get medicine, and then you're able to go out and continue to live the life God has created you to live. It concerns me that oftentimes when we say that church is a hospital for sinners, there should be a hospital for sinners, what we really mean is we want a church where we can continue to live in sin even after we've met the grace of Christ. And we need to be very careful about what we're saying because it should be a place where people who are hurt by sin come in and find grace. But when you're healed, you don't stay in the hospital. It's too expensive. They come by your room all the time. You don't want to stay there in the hospital. You want to go out and live the life that God has created you to live. And so we want this to be a place where people find healing and forgiveness and grace. And then they live as God's people as he would want them to live. At the bottom of your notes, there's kind of a little response paragraph. Matthew 7 should lead us to be a church in which people stand humbly before God and humbly before one another, worshiping God for his perfect judgment and salvation and calling one another to holy kingdom living. It is not our job to be God But it is our job to be God's children and to be siblings one to another, caring for people, pointing them toward the grace and the forgiveness of Christ. Because here's the reality. Every one of us will stand before God as judge. Hebrews chapter 9. Look carefully at this on the screen. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. If you're here and you're interested in Jesus, but maybe you don't like the judgmental Christians, I I completely understand with that. that. That is not what we are here to talk about. What we are here to say is that every one of us will die, every one of us will die, and every one of us will stand before God. But thank God there's a verse 28 that comes after verse 27. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. One of the most famous stories that Jesus um, is reported to have told is about a woman who was caught in adultery. And she was brought before a group of religious people, angry religious people. And we know there's nothing more ugly in the world than a group of angry religious people. And she was brought before them, and they were ready to have her killed. And they brought Jesus in so that Jesus would condemn her as well, and they would be able to stone her and kill her. And Jesus looked around, and he said, hey, he who has, the, who has no sin, throw the first stone. And you know what happened? Crickets. Nothing. No sound, no actions. And they began to leave one by one. And Jesus looks over at the lady and she says, or he says, where are those people that were going to condemn you? Where are those people who were going to judge you? They're not here anymore. And then Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for sin. We are forgiven, and we are set free, and it is the glorious peace and joy and hope of Jesus Christ that we call people to. And then you know what he says? He says, go and sin no more. Go and live for me. If you're here this morning, 
We're going to sing a song in just a few minutes called Jesus Paid It All. Jesus has paid the price for our sins. And if there are logs in your eye that you need to deal with, deal with them right now. You can pray right where you are. You can come up here to the front and pray at the front. I'll be up here and pray for you. If you have a speck in your eye and someone has come to you and tried to deal with that humbly and graciously and you hit their hand away, this may be the time just to ask the Lord for forgiveness and to realize that that person was coming to you lovingly. If you've gone to someone else and you went with pride and you went because you wanted to hurt them, we don't need people to come and laugh at us and tell other people our problems. We need people to come to us in love and help us to move ahead as God's people. Whatever God is doing in your life this morning, I pray that you will respond to him right now.